Okay, everyone, welcome back to Easing the Reader, a Wheel of Time reread. It feels like it's been so long since since I did this intro that I almost forgot what I usually say. My name is Chris Mary Hoffman. With me, I have David Green, my constant partner in crime in this show, and we have Matt Hash with us today, our special guest. Welcome, Matt. Thank you for having me. Can't wait to uh, talk about this trilogy. Yes. And I have, I have, I think last time you were on, I talked about that I had a specific question um, and I hope we can, we can um, get into that today. Something that I, that I uh, figured, found when I was digging deep in Lovecraftian lore. Okay. So I was thinking, because we were kind of talking about whether or not Robert Jordan is part of that circle, being part of, of Conan. <clears throat> so we'll see. We can get some connection there. Finally, yeah, thanks for coming on again. So uh, obviously, we usually get you on for the the last few chapters of the, of the last book, but fate conspired against us last time. So what we did was Holtman was so excited, he was like, "We can talk about all three of them together as one, as one yeah. as Robert Jordan intended." Back in the in the mid in the early nineties, he was like, "One day, there's going to be the internet, and people are going to come on there, and they're going to talk." <laughs> all about these books <laughs> they won't ever start talking so that is what we're here to do and obviously if this is your first time on the channel please give us a like and subscribe and matt's channel the dusty wheel which i'm sure you have heard of all that information will be below as well in the show notes absolutely uh, so actually the first question when we talk about the books up uh, as a if we talk about the three books as a trilogy were they actually intended to be like a trilogy. I mean, obviously he had a, Robert Jordan had a whole series or part of a series planned out, but I mean, was he thinking the first three books should kind of be linked? Uh, so I, that's a good question. Uh, that, this came up recently in a discussion we had. Uh, I had thought I had heard something about three books at one point, but the answer that I see in the database from an interview that he did in 1991, uh, someone asked, you know, uh, it basically the this idea that it never intended to be a series but uh this is the quote says but it's hard to find space for an 18 inch thick book on yourself i took the outline to the publisher saying what i had here was more like four or five or six books what can i tell you i signed a six books con a six book contract so um you know i i think i don't think he only ever planned uh from that statement at that point does that mean earlier there wasn't a plan uh does that mean he as he started building it out he didn't see a trilogy here it it seems clear from a structural standpoint that it makes it makes a nice pause point you know for the first three <laughs> books and things uh things do change uh from this point on uh i think structurally so yeah i i would say that he did see that he had much more material than three books uh you know depending on how big those books were uh, yeah. And that he definitely had plans moving beyond. And as we see, to 10, <laughs> to, well, <laughs> to well, one more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not, I don't, I don't think that the end of book three is really like, I wouldn't say, <clears throat> well, and I think even though I know that there are more books, I don't think I would say that there was definitely a definitive end, like how, no. how Stephen Donaldson has three. I mean, basically, that's two th trilogies, the Thomas Covenant Chronicles. I mean, it's, there's a yeah. definite end to the last yeah. book. And then all of a sudden, three more books show up. 
So See, the, the thing is with, with the first three books and Wheel of Time as well, there's there's um, definitive themes that run through these three books that kind of disappear from this point on. And one of those main things is one of the, and we've talked about this, especially in the eye of the world, is the Arthurian callbacks mm-hmm. that are quite heavy in these first three books. And they're hard to get away from because, you know, the characters' names are very, very based on Arthurian legend. Like, you know, Egwene Alvere is like Guinevere. Randall Four is like Arthur and so on. Uh, Lan, Lancelot. But then even you have the sword and the stone. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the thing, literally the sword and the stone. Uh, yes. and, then, and then from watching the Dusty Neal, Dusty Neal, the Dusty Wheel <laughs> in the show notes, um, there was the whole... Um, Jordan himself was talking about Moraine and Nineveh in terms of like a Mar- Morgana at Lafay and Nimue kind of parallel there as well. Those yep. um, th- those themes kind of melt away from this point onwards. And that's why I always think of it in, in my head with these three books, there is a very distinct link between them, which isn't quite there with the rest of the books. Well, it's certainly a, a journey of sorts that to me, there's this, there is a journey that ends. Um, and then a journey that begins, right? It's Jordan's whole concept of endings and beginnings. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that does uh, the end of the third book does bring to an end some of uh, some of the ideas. Uh, Rand's becoming, you know, uh, yeah. his journey to kind of understand what this is or who he is, uh, his acceptance there. Uh, a lot of the characters are transitioning in this moment. Um, between, you know, they're, they're finding their footing, if you will, you know, they're journeying to find purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, I think you start to see that form for a lot of characters, but it certainly isn't, that, that'd be a weird place to end this. <laughs> like, it's clear well, that Jordan was not building it in the sense of like, mm-hmm. not going to speak about everything else coming. I and mean, there's lots of foreshadowing that works well beyond here. And that you could go back to our previous discussion on that, which is he always built in things he could do. You know, yeah. um, so that's anyways. But I mean, it's interesting because I felt that the end of if, you, if we talk about like the actual kind of like the end of Eye of the World and the end of the Great Hunt, um, not the, the climax ending, but kind of like how the the trickle effect after the kind of like Luke and, and Leia staring out into empty space knowing Han is gone and they have to find him that kind of ending you know that that is a lot more clear in in Eye of the World and the Great Hunt I found that that was missing a bit from from the Dragon Reborn it felt like there was much more of a clean break um, and that maybe that, that to me indicates more clearly that that maybe I mean, the next book, is it going to start exactly where the previous one ended? Or is it going to be a little bit of time in between, kind of like how it is in Eye of the World and, mm. and, and the, the Great Hunt? Because, I mean, there's been, you know, a movement in time. Well, what do you think? <laughs> As someone who's not read them. You... Oh, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, definitely, it definitely feels the way it's written, that it's just going to continue. It's like, we'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. <laughs> okay, hold on. This is the perfect <laughs> timing. I need to go run up my stairs for 45 seconds. <laughs> you just said we'll be back. Uh, my wife left and she's baking a cake 
and I'm hearing things going off and I'm imagining in my mind, if I sit here until she gets back in 20 minutes, there's gonna be a burned cake and it's not gonna end well. So you literally give me 45 seconds and I'll be right back. No, is it? <laughs> well, I mean, we can continue on. I mean- Oh no, we'll, we'll, we'll wait until he comes back. I'll, no. I'll pause this bit. Let me see. I haven't got a pen with me. I'll have to remember. Oh man, the, the last one with John was such, I you probably heard it when you do it in the audio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The amount of edits, like, I was just like, man. Because uh, I was trying to, do, I, I was like, can I do this from memory or do I have to watch the whole thing again? And I was like, no, I have to watch the whole thing again. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, well, we're, we're some minutes in. We're some minutes in. I'll find it. I'll find it. It'll be like 10 minutes or so. Um, I'm, I was too bad that I, I missed it, but it didn't, was a, well, obviously can't, can't help traffic in you know, Canadian oh, traffic. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Was that 45 seconds? I don't know if that was that was, that was even less, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the cake was actually done. So Excellent. I'm glad I, I heard it off the side of my head. What are we having? Red here. Devil's food cake? There is, I think it is like, well, it's a chocolate. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what they call the particular type of cake, but it isn't like a tin, a tin with the kind of center pulled out. Anyways, I don't know. A cake? I don't know. What yeah, That's a bun cake a bun or something cake. Yeah, like, like that. So. So I'm just getting my I'm getting my breath back. I just ran. <laughs> okay, we just took a pause. Yes. Kind of like Robert Jordan did. Yes. Well, yeah, no, as I said, it feels like book end of book one and book two are more of like you will see Rand and his friends come, like in the old James Bond movies used to be. Bond will return in Never Say Never Again. And I got did more you not, of did you not feel that as much at the end of this one? No. It felt like it was more of like a clean cut and it's just like, we'll be back after these messages, basically. Gotcha. You felt like it was more severe. Okay. Yeah. So that, it feels like, feels like the next book will start basically where the other one ended. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, that's interesting kind of takeaway from that. It's hard for me to remember how I felt. Does that make sense? Like, oh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think I always felt this way. Is there another book? <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I have to wait for it. What, uh, you yeah. know, write faster, which Robert Jordan wrote so fast for the first many books anyway. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a, why do you think if that's the case, why do you think that he would have done it that way this time? Like if that is true, Chris? I, I don't know, because I feel like there, I mean, apart from maybe I mean, Rand returning and everything like that, there, if, felt that there's not as much resolve or resolution at the end of this book as there is in in, in the other books um, I, I will i will agree with i'll agree with that yeah it's weird i never really kind of this is the first time i've read the dragon reborn since i started writing myself and and i always enjoyed the dragon reborn but i kind of in my head i kind of papered over the bits that i didn't enjoy about it and kind of the weird structural things about the dragon reborn Sure. Uh, and just kind of just focus on Matt's arc and, and the ending and be like, yeah, it's a fun book. You know, Matt's doing fun things and the ending's great. Um, but then I, when I was looking at this time and kind of studying it and looking at it, there's a, he puts so much more work in this book in terms of setting things up for future books. And it's almost like he, at some point when he was writing this, the next four, five, six, seven books formalized in his mind a lot more than they did when he was writing the previous two 
Yeah, there is definitely, though, the last, the final chapter thing that it does feel like maybe the final chapter is kind of very much like, and all the stuff still has to go on. Like there is a, yeah, and we'll be right back. Uh, so, I, I mean, I guess I feel it that way, that final chapter. He does almost, if you go back and read it, stuffs in like all these random things like letter arriving and like, you know, and we're going to keep our, on our search for, you know, the, the black Aja and, and all these other things are, are coming together and, and people are waking up to this new reality of, of what's happened at the city. And mm-hmm. so there is a, but maybe there's not as much of a, yeah. It, and now I'm seeing what you're saying. It is a bit more kind of abrupt and then it, and then you're kind of waiting almost like assuming that the next book will begin from that chapter forward like we're missing yeah. a chapter so yeah i can see that Cause, yeah because rand is then like in the final chapter again rand isn't present for it again so it's like it's no. kind of like where you'd expect to have like you know after the events of his you know chapter where you'd have like uh, you know a chapter with the hero where he's kind of basking or reflecting on, on what's happened but he's gone and it's again it's like people saying oh they've seen him walking around and like Aeol are following him and all this kind of stuff and it's that it's that whole thing again throughout the whole book where Rand is kept at a distance from people, um, mm. which I think works. I actually do think that works. I can see why some people. Um, I remember, and Chris said this to me one time as well. I remember kind of looking into it, and there is, and some people that I know that gave up reading The Wheel of Time gave up on this book because they're like, well, Rand's not in it, and he's the main character, you know. So it's like it's a bold choice, and I I think it works. I think mean, the problems with this book coming from other areas, but it's it's an odd choice as well and a bold choice that in the final chapter of the book, he goes back and pushes Rand away again. And it's like, well, you're not allowed to know his thoughts. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting take on that, that I hadn't, you started talking about that and it was like, wow, even to the very end there, um, we are disconnected. Like the book is called The Dragon Reborn. And that journey, you, I mean, look at the point of view we have in the eye of the world is very much from Rand's point of view and everything that happens to him. And at the end of his, this journey, if you will, we're still absent from him. And so I don't think I realized how much Jordan baked in that uh, idea of, like you said, that disconnect Mm -hmm. um, that Rand, he's he's, he's created a distance here in this book uh, that is, yeah, it's really, that's a really, uh, I had never thought about that way. Um, you know what I mean? Like, cause it could have, like, it could have, I'm trying to imagine a world in which that wasn't, you know what I mean? Like the dragon reborn was still very Rand focused. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, we were in Rand's thoughts, how much of a different tone that would have. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bold, it's a really bold choice. And obviously then, you know, um, it's a tricky repeats again in the future, uh, not to go into massive spoilers with some other characters that he does it too, but it's, um, for, for a third book that's in a series, and obviously when you're reading through this book, you, you, you definitely know, I mean, maybe in The Great Hunt, you could be reading and thinking, oh, you know, it could be a trilogy, you know, you, you could wrap this all up. Halfway through The Dragon Reborn, you're very much in the mindset, there's, there's, there's much more to come in this. So it's a, it's a, it's, it is a bold choice to kind of push that main character away and, and tell the reader, listen, we, you're, not, you're not to know what's going on in this character's head. Then, yeah, how, Chris, Chris, how does that work? Does it does that work for you? This one's called The Dragon Reborn. It is I do, somewhat of an I do ending. Think I'm, tr- I'm trying to think, well, the reason why I'm so quiet is I'm trying to, to, to wrap my head around um, going back to my, my years when I studied drama. There, there's a play that is set up in, in the same way, which actually the, I can't remember. Well, I mean, you could, you could harken it back to like Waiting for Godot. 
where Godot never ever shows up. So the people just <laughs> talk about him. And there's another play that's the same where the main character actually doesn't show up until like the second, the end of the second act. And it's kind of like that, that whole, it feels like Jordan maybe tried to, to use that kind of trick, you know, you want to, I mean, it didn't, it, I understood, I do like that aspect of, of Dragon Reborn because it's kind of like everybody is, well, let's see, one of my favorite books is uh, called like Dang, uh, like the final summer i think is the name of it and I'm, I'm sure both of you know who the moomins are the finn family moomins yeah i know the moomins uh the moomins yeah, they may come across to america they were in no they have they've been they've come they've come to the states they're kind of like troll like um white things yeah. that live in finland yeah Okay, I have it's, to look this it's up. It's Swedish fantasy. It's actually <laughs> written in Sweden, in Swedish, but it's written, it's it's part of like Finnish lore. But anyway, the final book in the series, the seven books, the Moomins leave in the in the sixth book to go out on a trip because the dad wants to go sailing like he did in his youth. They leave, and they never return. Hmm. And then the final book in 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 the seventh book, which which is like in the series of the Moomins are never there. Uh, it's about three people that go to their house because they need something from them or they want to go talk to them or something. They all have their own agenda, agendas, why? but they never they never show up. So these three people just sit in their house waiting for this family to return. And at the end of the book, they never do. And it kind of gave me the same idea. It was like the, the picture and... That what we find out about the Moomins are all through the thoughts and ideas of the people that know them or try yeah. to remember them. And it kind of gave me a, this, a similar thing. Everybody's like still kind of talking about Rand and why they want to find Rand and what they're afraid of. So we see Rand from the perspective of the people that know him or think they know him the best. Do, does it work for you? I mean, isn't it do does you think because Jordan, I love yeah. the movements. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me very much of that. So I don't know how much movement Robert Jordan has read. <laughs> but the, the movements come from the, I mean, they're from the seventies. So, I mean, he might've come across it. So it's really fascinating uh, to think of it that way, which is that Jordan is inviting us to define Rand, right? He's inviting us to define what he's become. He's inviting us to kind of lean into someone else's interpretation of it. You know, either how Moraine feels about him, how Land feels about him. doesn't matter basically how everyone else feels about Rand. He's really kind of having us question what is our impression mm -hmm. of Rand at this point, which I, I do think works. Uh, I, I, if this makes sense, it works in the sense of now that I'm thinking about it this way, Dragon Reborn was never one of my favorites. And it's, although I have this tendency when I read <laughs> where it's like, oh man, this is one of my favorite books now. For example, I just did a, uh, a new reader experience with uh, Fires of Heaven. And obviously I won't talk about the book, but as we're going through with uh, the Wheel Weaves podcast, we were talking about it and I was like, oh yeah, I love this book. Why is it never, you know? And I, I feel the same way when I recently did a live adaptation of, of the Dragon Reborn. It's like, this is a great, great book. So uh, I forget the kind of powerful nature of what, of that invitation from the author to, um, to basically come to believe that, you know, what's happening from the opinions of everyone else around that character. So yeah. I love it. 
it's kind of a take on the, it's kind of a spin on unreliable narrator, which, sure. you know, he, he's, he's not really done so far because I mean, the way, the way I kind of look at Jordan's use of third person POV is that he's basically sat on the shoulder. The narrator sat on the shoulder of the character. So you can really hear, and the, the, the narrator itself is quite, quite opinionated sometimes as well. The one that always sticks out is like one time when I can't remember what book it is, but Matt makes a quip and the narrator goes, that was pure Matt Carthen. It's <laughs> 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 just like, yeah. you know, um, so, but in this one, it's the first time where it, you are kind of getting so many people's, like in, in The Great Hunt, you see Matt's, you hear Matt's opinion on Rand, but you know that it's coming from, Rand is listening to Matt's opinion, right? right? So you can kind of like just be, well, you know, this is the way Matt is or, or however in this book that is coming straight from that character so you're kind of biased towards rand is being challenged in a way because you've been most people in the first two books are so on rand's side or they have or have formed an opinion of rand already and then because we're getting perrin's opinion perrin's kind of suspicion of him moraine's worry matt's disdain in a way but also companionship as you know matt's conflicted own conflicted view your bias of Rand is being challenged in every single chapter. And then he comes in and kind of saves the day at the end and then disappears again. And then you're kind of left with this, who is this guy? Yeah. Well, somebody you thought you, right. It's that, it's kind of that classical, like, no, I, I know who this person is. I've, I've been in their head, you know, since the beginning. And so, but, but what's happened, what's changed now. And it mm -hmm. does. Yeah. It kind of creates, it does create that effect where I, I'm trying to think, what I was thinking at the time. And uh, I don't know, I can't remember whose opinion that I was leaning into about Rand, but I yeah. do remember thinking like, wow, like I can't even explain some of the stuff he's done in <laughs> the track and report. I don't even want to explain it, right? It's making me not want to interpret it because I really want to believe in Rand and believe in his sanity and believe that he you know, is someone that I can still kind of support. And this, this book does begin to kind of question that. I, what I, I want to go back to the unreliable narrator concept. Uh, that is one of Jordan's themes, but the unreliable nature of just truth. What is, what's the fact? What's truth in this world? And, yeah. and he does that, I think, really well by not putting us in Rand's head so we don't know. Mm -hmm. And, and trying to, you know, what, are, what is our bias? You know, do we lean into like the wise counselor? You know, is Moraine's, is Moraine correct? You know, or do we lean into his friends who should know him really well, you know, mm. and uh, who do you rely on for truth when you can't just, you know, uh, verify it? Uh, you know, you can't, yeah. you don't, you can't get seven, you know, scientific sources to prove something out to you. Who do you, who do you trust? And I love that Jordan plays with that here. Yeah. yeah. Or has for the whole, for, the, for all three books, he's kind of really built that into his approach. Mm. Um, you know, I don't want to talk about how that approach works after this, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he really, really kind of settles into that way of, and, and, and he answered questions in interviews about it afterwards talking about like, you know, so you believed, you know, do you believe these characters and why do you believe these characters, you know, and, and it makes you kind of go like, wait, you're the unreliable author, <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah. approach here, which I love, which I love how he, uh, how he questions and challenged fans in, in those interview questions. Yeah. Well, this, this is the most, I mean, out of the first three books, this is the most challenging read in 
and on purpose, I think. I think it's constructed to be challenging because I think either world is challenging in parts because it's a fresh take on a, on a new thing and, it, and you can see that he's setting things up and then the ending is the ending and the prologue is the prologue and what have you. The Great Hunt is quite a, you know, wild ride. You know, it's all fun times. It's, it's, it's epic. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's something quite familiar but different as well. Like it, it, it does, you know, it's, it doesn't really kind of... Um, mess with anything that you've kind of it's basically a, a smoother version of the eye of the world really whereas this book it challenges the, the reader from the, from from right from straight away and the characters are challenging each other their perceptions are challenged the structure is challenging to, for some people as well um how you know he changes things from how he was written previously where um where he has handled separate POVs, he would do maybe one or two, three chapters at a time. Whereas in this one, he was doing like big chunks of Perrin's POV, then a big chunk of Egwene's, and then a big chunk back to Perrin again. And it was it was challenging for some. It was, it was people that had read the first two and they picked this book up, and it's like, well, this this is quite. Even though there is similar things that happen and plot devices that happen that happen in the Great Hunt, um, the structure of it is very different, which um, I think. Chris struggled with that. Well, <laughs> I mean, I struggle with a lot when it comes to carrying into the Dragon Reborn. I I find it to be the weakest of the three books. Mm. Um, although I do find when it has some good points in it, the good parts are really good. Like I do like the change in POV. Uh, I like the evolution of Matt and how he's, and I've mentioned this before, kind of like an anti. Uh, fantasy character whereas he seems to be commenting on all the fantasy tropes that he um, encounters and he encounters a lot of them in this book yeah um and i just i i find the repetitiveness of the things that happen in this book to be dull um mm. like what happens to the girls um uh, <laughs> being kidnapped again and again and taken again and again and i just i i don't find that it's it just didn't it didn't hold my interest the math parts held my interest but the story overall just didn't um and i mean and, and that i think and, and that speaks to why people drop the series at this book and especially mm -hmm. i think if you were if you were reading them when they came out um if this was if you weren't sure that there was going to be another book then you probably and, the, and another book kind of came and you're just like yeah well i didn't really care for the last book so i won't buy it i can go read something else because i mean obviously there is a litany of, of of fantasy novels coming out during this time so you're not spoiled for choice yeah i didn't i haven't heard a ton of readers but again that's there's millions of them and i've haven't that met, met that many of them um <laughs> in person in comparison so I remember reading the books and thinking um, probably the same thing, which the dragon reborn wasn't as strong for me probably as the great hunt, but the totality of the three books together made me definitely curious what was going to happen next. I, I, I more so hear again, not to we won't ruin anything here, but I more so hear people at book seven were kind of like, I'm out, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's when I've heard people kind of like, I think yeah, our, is, our you know. publishing partner, Derek Power, I think, bowed out at seven. Yeah, seven, seven, eight, I definitely We should really have a him lot on. Of people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I think that that's in part uh, 
because of what I think that you'll believe the strength of book four is. In other words, you know, there may have been kind of a little, I, I, it feels a bit more of an experimentation that Jordan is still doing here in book three. I think it works in this perspective now going back and reading it and focusing on it as you go back and read and read it. You're excited to kind of get in the mind of other characters and it's, it's less like, you know, finish off the story and clearly Jordan wasn't intending to finish it off here and so he's building a much greater foundation for where things are going, but it is I think if I between the first three books, it is the one that I, I think does take a step back now. Um, but I'm kind of curious, Chris, the trilogy, if you think of it as a trilogy, yeah, uh, these three books together, um, how does this sit for you when it comes to epic fantasy around it, books being re- right, trilogies, if you will, that are being written around the same time? Yeah. Or even today, you know, now that you've read things that have happened since, yeah. where do you, where does it settle for you? Uh, I mean, unfortunately, it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. Compare. It doesn't compare, especially when you look at what's been produced since um, these three books came. And I, th- I think it's, it's it's unfair to call it a trilogy, really, because it is, people, it is. It's very obvious that it's not. People be, it's people not be angry in comments. This is yeah. a trilogy. <laughs> no, it's very um, it's very obvious that it's not. But I mean, I I mean, I, I never I never got to this point when I was when I mean because obviously I ended at the Great Hunt. Uh, and the Great Hunt is—I mean—it's a very good example of epic fantasy from from the time. Yeah. But um, and and it's—I mean—definitely the, the the series of books, these three series of books, is definitely definitely better than the Dragonlance series of books, with which they at times can seem very very childish and very very simple. But I find I love Raceland. Yeah. No. Yeah. Of course, we all do. <laughs> And especially when he's voiced by Kiefer Sutherland. It is so Wait, much- the audio of Raceland is by Kiefer Sutherland? Well, in, in, I, in, in, in the, the whole movie, the audiobooks? In, in the movie. Uh, oh, in the movie. Wait, have I, what movie have I not seen that <laughs> has Raceland in it? Is there a Dragon? Is there a Dragonlance movie that has yes, Raceland? Yes, there's a Dragonlance movie. I'm going to have to go watch that today. I don't know. I'm not remembering that there's a Dragonlance movie with Raceland, but now I. I think. I mean, am I am I misremembered? No, but there should be. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be. Don't. Yeah, I. I got. I got really into the wheel of time, and other things stopped existing for me. So. (laughs) The worrying thing is that maybe you've seen it and you just blanked it from your memory altogether. You like probably best 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 (laughs) things to have happened. That's (laughs) That's likely what happened. (laughs) Um, But anyway, no, and and I find that I mean, obviously, it lacks some of the. And I'm, I'm trying to think if, if it's really contemporary or if it's not. Uh, well, with the Thomas Covenant Chronicles, which I remember really, really liking when they, when I read them, when they came. And I think they're about the same time or maybe a little bit before. Yeah, you have like Eddings. You have Eddings and Feist around this time. Yeah, um, no, and I never, we've, we've talked about Eddings before and that's not my cup of tea, but I do like yeah. Feist and Robin Hobb must have been around the same time as well. Uh, Robin Hobb was a little bit after. A little later? Yeah, I think a little maybe later. A little later. Yeah. Maybe I'm... Yeah. Like maybe Magician I'm would have been... Um, I mean, the thing is as well, like, you know, Jordan started writing this early 80s, especially Eye of the World, so it's like Magician would have been kind of comparable and um, by, by Feist. And Magician's one of my favorite, was one of my favorite fancy books growing up. Uh, uh, Pug. 
But yeah, Thomas. Um, but um, it's one. Of, it's. I was. I was on a panel recently uh, at FantasyCon, and it was one of the. It's also an example that I always use quite a lot for bad world building. Not say bad world building, but um, power creep in, mm. in stories, and what what I feel what sets even in and maybe this is the thing with after reading Wheel of Time so many times is that a lot of the aspects that I love of Wheel of Time, I always realize when I start rereading it again, don't come in until after book four. <laughs> so you kind sure. of like, so you kind of like bring this in, but Robert Jordan's a great job of escalating the power for everyone. So not when Rand and everyone else is getting more powerful, other people are left behind, but then other things come into the world and other characters appear and other things come in. Like um, Feist trilogy, the, the original Rift Wars trilogy is, a poor example of that because and I think a lot of trilogy uh, fantasy around that time doesn't compare to Wheel of Time in my case because of this is because Thomas and Pug by the end of the first book are just ultra powerful to the point where and, and Macross to Black is as well to the point where this, the next book the, and, the, and then the book afterwards and subsequent books in the series are like we need to take these characters and we need to hide them somewhere for most of the <laughs> most of this book, because they could just appear and just click the fingers and the, the problem would be yeah. solved. Um, and that is a problem. Like you look at Shannara and you look at um, you know even some some aspects of the Farseer trilogy as well, um, where where there is this, and it's a problem that comes across quite a lot. I mean, there's a problem. If, I was talking about the Matrix recently. The Matrix trilogy suffers from the same problem because Neo is all powerful by the end of the first film and then he, so to the extent where in the third film they just lock him away in a subway for about half the <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like, you can't have him here right um yeah. and i think that's something that robert jordan does a really good job of avoiding which other fantasy of around that time didn't do yeah th- i, w- I want to add on to that which is uh there is a certain tendency you know like i said i love raceland there's a certain kind of cult of personality tendency in a lot of fantasy where it's like, it's very focused on that singular person. And you're just basically waiting until you can get back to reading about that one person. You know, it's like, just give us, just give us Jon Snow already. I know I just defend a lot of people. Tyrion's awesome too in the book. So, I mean, awesome in a, anyway. Oh, and I, in I a, agree. But I mean, uh, and when, when you have that, like you have Raceland and I mean, and even in, in, in to some extent, Elric, um, by by Moorcock, you have this, but but I mean, Raceland. If I don't remember incorrectly, uh, w- and the same with with Elric, they're they're sickly. I mean, they're all powerful, but yeah. they're kind of like dying, which gives them an uh, interesting dichotomy. Which I really, yeah. and I think that's why Rice, Raceland is um, is a good character. Um, other trilogies at the same time is like the Cold Fire trilogy by C.S. Friedman. I think is a great trilogy. Which came out in '91. Which I gotta we try that one last yeah. time about what they should, what book series they should produce. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, the sickly nature thing. I, what Jordan's done, I think, really well is he stretched out a lot of these things that, like uh, David was mentioned, just other authors just kind of give you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like he's sick and powerful. Let's move on. Let's get to some <laughs> cool stuff. You know, let's see what the sick and powerful person's gonna do. Isn't it crazy? And there's a certain nature of, of how Jordan stretches that out into a much larger world that's much more complex. That's one thing I think I loved when it happened. And, and Chris, I'm kind of curious, 
do you think that others created as complex, as nuanced, and as large of a world and a metaphysics concept within a first three books of what however many books they wrote than, than Jordan had at the time of kind of just, you know, of the fantasy that was going on. And maybe I missed others that were doing just as what I think is as good a job as he was doing in this way. Um, maybe not at the same time. I would, I would still argue that Friedman does it. In, in her Cold Fire trilogy, and she did only did the three books, and I, I think she does. And I mean, there are similarity, similarities there. It's kind of like a you don't really know what age we're talking about. You know, if it's in it's if it's a fantasy middle middle age fantasy world, or if it's like seventeen hundreds, or if it's in the future, or if it's on in our world and stuff like that. So I mean, there's a lot of similarities between Friedman and, and Jordan, I think. Um, Le Guin's Earthsea trilogy does but i mean that's obviously i have been before long before jordan uh maybe if she had written thicker books i think it would be more evident i mean they're obviously mm. quite short uh but i mean i think that that would be about about it um i don't know i don't know if you can argue that donaldson does that in thomas covenant yeah i don't think he does i, th I think i think the thing that jordan um I always saw this quote when I first picked up Wheel of Time. Uh, it was when, funny enough, it was when Crossroads of Twilight had come out. So it was 2000, 2001. There's posters everywhere for it in, in, the, in the underground that I used to go to to get to work. And um, so this is the most, it's the least popular book and probably in the whole series, right? And it was everywhere. And I was like, what is this? And um, the quote underneath it was, um, Jordan reveals the world that Tolkien began to uncover. And obviously, I was a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I'd read the Silmarillion and, and on unfinished tales and all this kind of stuff. So I was kind of always looking at this this quote, and I was like, "I'll be the judge of that." <laughs> but I think it's a really good quote because a lot of the fantasy that was coming around the time of Eye of the World, and and subsequently, you know, Great Hunt came out the same year. Dragon Reed Bomb was ninety one. Um, Shadow Rising. 92 somehow in a year's time he comes out with a shadow rising which is yeah. quite incredible um you had a lot of the popular fancy so if you talk about eddins you talk about um ursula gwyn thomas covenant it was all very soft magic systems and it was all very you know worlds that were familiar to everyone like you look at shannaro terry brooks and it was very you know he admitted himself the first the first one is basically a lot of the rings ripoff because that's what he was comfortable with. He wrote it as a, a kid in his late teens, early 20s. Um, Jordan obviously took that idea. And when you, when you uh, again, this is knowledge from my own research and then watching the Dusty Wheelers, when, when you hear about his first outlines and first ideas for the Wheel of Time, for Eye of the World, it was a lot more removed from Lord of the Rings. And it seemed like he consciously brought that back to bring it as an introduction point because that was what was happening in fantasy. But then he creates this hard magic system. He creates this really defined, cultural, culturally diverse uh, world, which wasn't really. I mean, you, you think of like Eddins, and it was like these people are from this country, and they like stealing. These people are from this country, and they like drinking. <laughs> and that was basically it. And that was the kind of standard. And so, yeah, I can get that where how this quote, which I always will think of with Jordan, and it's what got me to read Wheel of Time, was 
that he did. He did take what Tolkien had started and twisted it further than other fan contemporary fancy writers for him were not doing. In my opinion, that's, that's yeah. no, I, I agree. I, I don't know if I agree that that Le Guin's magic is soft per se. It's not. It's not hard like Jordan's. Is it's hard, not. It's not Jordan hard, but yeah. it's not. It's not Edding soft either. It's not Jordan's hard. It's but it's not Edding soft. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a cool for them. <laughs> that's yeah. Exactly. But, Hashtag not like Jordan hard. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the next one. Yeah, that'll be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, I would one another book that I would argue probably is similar, but the. I mean, I think it has to do with their um, limitations as 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 uh, as writers. Is um, the Dark Sword Chil trilogy mm. by Weiss and Hickman? I think that has a lot of depth in it compared to like the Dragonland stuff. Of course, in Dragonlands, you're 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 tied to the Dungeons and Dragons universe. So you have to kind of follow their that that outline. But whereas the Dark Sword trilogy wasn't like that at all, and I think that one is somewhat comparable. Yeah, I would I would actually throw a different one from them. I mean, I would say Deathgate Cycle from a yeah. world building, complex uh, magic perspective, um, and I think they did what Jordan did was right. They really mixed in some fun sci-fi kind of elements yeah. into their worlds, right? And they, they, I think they found. I mean, it's one of it's it may it's in my top definitely my top ten series. Like those seven books, I. Mm. I love those characters. The one thing I would say that they did not do that Jordan does is, right, they didn't give us the pantheon of all the Sartans. And, you know, like, in other words, we didn't get like point of views of everything going on. Like, you could, if you took those seven books, they're probably like the size of the first three books of the Wheel of, Wheel of Time, you know? Yeah. So uh, if you imagine for a moment like a Deathgate cycle that was 14 books long, or, or each of those books was twice as long, I would have read the hell out of that. You see, I mean, I did, but I mean, I would have loved, that was a series where I would have loved more detail, mm -hmm. more point of views, more interesting takes on how the cultures, because like you're saying, David, there was that whole like, well, there's this group of people and they're engineers. And then there's this group of people and they're, you know, whatever. And so they did that same thing, but it is, um, from a magic system perspective and from a world building perspective and just the complexity of the politics and, and everyone kind of the shading of what's good and what's evil. And, you know, the philosophies of how you try to determine that, like, who are you for, who are you supporting in this? And, you know, Hugh the hand, like, like who do you get behind? Because they're all kind of a little bit, you know, they're, they're after their survival of their people and they're, you know, fighting for, their causes that they believe in and so yeah I, I think Deathgate cycle to me is is a good example of you know fantasy done really really well you know back then if you will um <laughs> yeah. at the same time yeah so before before chris starts talking about lovecraft because i know he, he's dying to talk oh yes about yeah. i always ask something to you because i remember um looking on watching the dusty wheel one time and you were talking about how um in notes how the great hunt was going to start with rand washing up on ashore with these strange people and obviously that then didn't happen but uh he announced infinity of heaven in the mid 2000s and that was the idea wasn't it that it was going to be someone washing up on a strange shore when did jordan get the idea for infinity of heaven do you do you know and, and how did that affect 
what was going on in Wheel of Time. Because obviously one of the things that a lot of readers say is like, oh, he's had another idea for another series, so he's just stuck it into the Wheel of Time. But he did have this other series that he was planning. I don't remember when he started talking about it first. I thought we briefly discussed it with Therese and Linda, but maybe we didn't um, during that, that episode that we did. I'd have to go back and do just, it's one of those things that didn't stick with me of like when that concept <laughs> came up. It certainly sounds, cause he doesn't, I thought he even ties it to like, it's kind of, I, th- I thought it was like, it's kind of like the Sean Chan, but not the Sean Chan. It's, yeah. it's something else. Um, but, but all of us are like, okay, but this concept sounds like the Sean Chan, you know, like, <laughs> but, I, but cool. You want to tell a story in that world. And that was something he never gave us. Right. He, I mean, he didn't give us much of uh, that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was wondering because because when because like when because I obviously knew the, the 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 premise for Infinity of Heaven from when it was kind of started being talked about properly. What when you were doing that show about the notes about the Great Hunt? I think actually it was about it was about um, just the, the notes in general. And you were talking about changes to Neve the Neve's character because she was a part of that. It was only random the Neve washing up on this shore at first, wasn't it? And then it was just Rand, and then it just was something completely different. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can't, now I can't remember. Now I'm like, oh shoot. Um, yeah, he, so he said, uh, let's see, I'm trying to find this quote. Yeah, I mean, the earliest that I'm seeing it like actually be called Infinity of Heaven is in like 2005. Um, right. That So yeah, but I don't, I, but you're right. I, I can't remember what in the notes. Now I, I have to go back and watch that same episode again. <laughs> no, I don't, I can't remember. <laughs> It does just fascinating to me that the Neve seemed to be the character that that um, changed the uh, Neve and Galad, which is a, yeah. a story for another time, I suppose. But the Neve was just someone that he just couldn't quite pin. Like her characteristics were yeah. there fully found. It's like when you know, when you watch um, when you watch Dots and No, the first Bond film, and there's so it's a sixty year old film, but so much of Bond was there fully formed straight away the character the, even the, and the trappings of the of the franchise the music and everything and the needs the same she was from the very first time we meet her her character is almost fully formed in a way that a lot of the other characters aren't but then behind the scenes he yeah. seemed to have such a not sure what he was going to do with her yeah that's how a lot of the characters are like you just don't see the, the forming necessarily from the notes into the books and that's what i find the most fascinating about it is like here's these stories and you see him working, working it, working it. And then you get something in the books and you're like, that wasn't in the notes anywhere. You know what I mean? You didn't get like the final version of that. Now that's to say the, the actual initial story, you saw a lot of that of Emmons field and you know what that was going to be. Uh, You can see a lot of the details kind of building up, but a lot of the people in the books, even in like the great hunt, you meet Varen, you know, and you, you meet Varen, you meet so many new characters, but those aren't necessarily like laid out. Like you don't see the forming of that in notes. So a right. lot of the stuff was either in other notes that we don't have. Again, remember, we don't have all, we don't, we don't have all access to all the notes and there's other things to be looked into and there's notes that just aren't available there yet. So um, in the, uh, the, was it the College of Charleston, but uh, special collections edition, I, I never say it right, but yeah, we don't have all of those. So it's hard to know. Maybe he did have those kind of forming notes, but yeah, Nynaeve is one of those where like, he had some interesting plans for yeah. Nynaeve. Um, and she's um, going going back, read, the, the, the older I get, but the more I read the Wheel of Time and the older I get, the more I appreciate Nynaeve and agree with her. And like, and I remember, I always remember 
first reading through it, and I was like, oh my god, I just cannot stand this this character. And now I think she's my favourite character, even above Matt, who was always my favourite. But um, I think it's since become this is the first time I've read them since becoming a parent as well, and. I can be like, yeah, Nineveh, I'm, I am definitely on the same page as you in all of these things. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, so we get to my my question about <laughs> Lovecraft. Um, well, the thing was, it, it was interesting. I came across this as I was doing Lovecraftian things that I tend to do every once in a while, and I came across uh, in part of of uh, the Lovecraft circle. Uh, was a man named Clark Ashton Smith that you guys probably both have heard of. Um, and he created a world called Zothique. And Zothique is a fantasy world set in the future where people have been displaced after a great cataclysm. So you have like Asians in a part of the world where they're not supposed to be. And, you know, kind of like how it is with the wheel of time and i was just wondering if there's anything in his notes about clark ashton smith and if there's actually like a correlation there because of his link to lovecraft through um through um howard that's a great question because i mean it, <laughs> is, never, it, yeah. it is an interesting concept that it's so similar i mean because i can understand yeah. like how it is in the shannara series and Partially, how it can be in Dark Sword, where we're, you know, in our world, but it's been forgotten, and there's remnants of it by, like, you know, automobiles or whatever, or technology, for instance, that they've forgotten in the Dark Sword trilogy. But this is such a like a, a unique concept where exactly the same thing has happened in both these worlds. Well, first of all, uh, what's this? What's the name of the series? Zothik. Zothik. How do you spell that? Oh, no, I have to look it up. <laughs> I had it, I had it written Z O T H I Q U E. Oh, look at that! I just I just spelled it into a, uh, a doc, and I was like, oh wow, that's actually right. <laughs> that was lucky, <laughs> lucky guess on my part. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it's that's something I definitely want to go and check out. Um, uh, as far as influences, I don't recall him ever speaking of this, like writing something down in his notes. Uh, a lot of the stuff you see in his notes has less to do with um, authors and other series and more to do with mythologies that he wanted mm. to include, you know? So a lot of it, you know, was like David mentioned, uh, the, the Arthurian, Arthurian side, you see that a lot in the notes, but I don't see a lot of kind of author, or I want to say a lot, I don't see any where he's written down like this author, I want to kind of, I like this idea from this author per se. So, but I, I, again, influences, there's, I'm sure he was influenced by things that he was reading at the time or had read at the time or that were available and that he might've come across. Uh, But now I want to read about Zothique. Now I, now I'm. (laughs) Well, I mean, the, the one thing that's interesting is, I mean, obviously when he wrote, I mean, about Conan, he had to immerse himself in that world mm. before he could write it. And and I'm thinking that he must have gotten some kind of influence that way. That, I mean, something must have, like, spilled over and he, I mean, either consciously or subconsciously picked up on an idea that 
it's like, yeah, this I'll remember this for later. Yeah. That's yeah. a good idea because yeah. originally as well, like obviously his original idea for Eye of the World was very sci-fi as well, wasn't it? It was a yeah. very sci-fi. Yeah, the dark one did not. It was not. Uh, yeah, I, and I'm trying to like not ruin things from the book. So yes, <laughs> yes, there there's some definite more sci-fi sounding roots to um, the 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 dark side, if you will, of of this equation of the books. And it's this idea almost like, I think it was, if I remember correctly, like uh, Forsaken were more kind of like, like um, this was like the, the dark ones, more like a demon from another dimension kind of thing. Yeah. And, and the Forsaken were kind of like the demons or the whatever. In other words, this idea of they came from another world. And I think that was a, a concept. I. I almost always love everything he finally chose. I love his. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like his process of seeing it come together. It almost gives me hope someday. I have always have dreams to write. Um, and I've written, you know, I've done that whole cliche thing where you like, you write two chapters of like five books, um, <laughs> you know, and a prologue and, and I have the foundation of what I want to do. So, uh, but it gives me hope that, you know, this idea of this forming, maybe that, that stuff that I initially see about an idea as it comes together, that, yeah, that I can maybe, you know, accomplish that, which is actually put out the good stuff, you know, from every <laughs> idea that I have and not, because almost exclusively I read his notes and I'm like, yep, glad you didn't do that. Really glad you didn't make that choice, you know, uh, but maybe I wouldn't say that, you know, maybe if he had written some of those things, I would have liked that. But now that I have this other thing, I kind of always compare it against it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know from uh, even that that author. I mean, I'll, I'll go back and do some looking, but I almost exclusively it's talking about kind of the sources of myths mm. um, and and legends, if you will, versus well, yeah. you know, books that might. Have well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I understand. I understand that. Uh, I mean, yeah. the interesting aspect here is that Clark Ashton Smith and William Hope Hodgson, who was also part of that group, and also kind of worked in this shared world um kind of had this whole interdimensional idea of being able to pass into dream worlds and oh wow okay and stuff like that so there, there's a lot there that you can see and maybe i'm i'm damaged from just reading way too much lovecraft and, and lovecraft-esque things that you know you start seeing a pattern and everything <laughs> but seeing that there is a connection no matter how tenuous yeah. that connection might be, um, it'd be interesting to to see. There we go. That's someday that's somebody will write a thesis on it. You know? Yeah, that's the, that's the future episode of uh, the Dusty Wheel Lovecraft in the Wheel of Time, and it'll be just well, <laughs> just sat there, just like it's Lovecraft is everywhere. Right? <laughs> I don't know if uh, I don't know if you've read this quote before, but people have asked him, this was in 2002, he's asked, what other authors have most influenced your work? I can't remember if I brought this up last time we spoke, but Jane Austen, Charles Dickens, Mark Twain, Robert Heinlein, uh, John, McDon John D. Mcdonald, and Louis L'Amour. Uh, those are the ones he gave. <laughs> so that doesn't like mean... A very, sorry, but it sounds like a very standard answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah. It's Charles like, Dickens, yeah, Mark Twain, you know. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's, again... Uh, most influenced and kind of his, you know, was speaking of his maybe some of his favorites there, but that doesn't obviously mean. Uh, yeah, he keeps he did say this. Uh, he's mentioned Jane Austen, Charles Dickens, and Mark Twain, you know, uh, many times. Here's another one. Let's see. Um, 
you know, people that he, okay, so here's some people that he uh, recommends other authors. And so they asked him, you know, who would you recommend? He said, Ray Feist, Jenna Wirtz, C.S. Friedman, Robert Holdstock, Tad Williams, and Barry Hugart. Um, and he said, the problem is there are a lot of people I like, and these are just the first names to come to mind. So, you not know. Bad. Not, not bad names. Yeah. Come to mind. Yeah. yeah. So, so obviously, that is to say, very much well read and you know how influenced he was in which aspects of how he wrote his fantasy i mean we're all influenced in some sort of fashion so yeah i, I love the uh i love the seeing the patterns of his writing in other people's writing because it fits really well with the, <laughs> the whole overall theme of the wheel of time yeah. right our, our future and past and uh you know that were influenced by both uh, in his world. So I, I, yeah, and maybe in a previous turning, he was an author that was influenced by Maybe he was Lovecraft in a previous- That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, he's, he's, he's a culmination of all these uh, authors in previous lives, and then he wrote this. Uh, yeah. Well, I've got I've to run, I've got to take my kids to soccer practice. Yeah, sure. And um, we'll just quickly talk about um, the cast and news and the and the and the, uh, and the clip, if that's okay, Matt. And then we'll yeah, we'll, yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for taking the holster. Yeah. Well, now I'm now I'm really curious about Chris is gonna. Uh, I'm assuming you're gonna keep going. I, I couldn't yeah, tell yeah. from your your thoughts. Oh yeah, I'll keep there. going. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> okay. committed to this. <laughs> you're like, I'm in. I'm in. But now, but now I'm really curious how the shadow rising is going yeah. to work for you. So yeah, that's. Uh, but then, yeah. but then when we're done, someday in the future. Then we're doing Deathgate Cycle. Oh, yes. <laughs> if, if you guys, I want to reread Deathgate Cycle because it's yeah. been forever. Could, and I will. It's uh... called Expanding the Deathgate Cycle, where it's like, where could we expand this? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I, because uh, I, I interviewed recently with my, uh, my, my co host, Brian, uh, with Margaret Weiss. We had an interview with Margaret Weiss and asked, like, so are there other things? You know, do you have plans? And she, I think it was kind of like, you know, that's, we're never going to go back and revisit that world very much. So I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I was like, can, can you just tell us, please, some, give us please. more information? Are there some notes that you can just let us read? I don't know. I was like getting really geeky about the death case cycle. So um, well, Chris, awesome. Thank you very much. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah, I can't wait. Like I said, can't wait to hear uh, Shadow Rising, how that turns out. I'm going to start reading it here tomorrow, probably. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I agree with that.